chapter, verses 1 through 9. Now, I, I may be finishing up on the characters of the Bible. I'm not sure. I may go back because I, if any of you noticed, Brother, um, Brother Cisco spent a lot of time talking about um, Joseph and the, and the trip into Egypt. And, he's, and he, uh, of course, uh, correlated that with, with the church. And it was really some great preaching that he brought. And we've got to remember, when it comes to the Old Testament... When it comes to the Old Testament, that these things, according to Paul and his writings to the Corinthian church, were given to us as examples. The Bible calls them insamples, but they're examples. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the judicial and the ceremonial law when it came to the law of the Old Testament, but the moral law is still that which is we live by today. So when we go back and we look at the Old Testament, that's what gives us a right to go back there and to teach these characters uh, in the Old Testament. They gave, they give us examples, not gave, but they, I still, they are still giving, uh, great ways to live and ways to stand up to what we are facing today in our, in our society. Uh, and we are facing, has anybody noticed how much more, now I, I don't believe that, um, I don't believe I'm wrong here, but how much more the devil has been Release. It seems like the extension of his chain has been let out just a little bit more. Uh, there's a lot of battles. Anybody else notice that? Is that just me? I, I, I have noticed. It seems like that by and large, and God is still in control. Don't ever forget that. But because the time is short for Satan, that time God has to allow just a little bit more extension to the leash that he's on. And I believe we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, I think a lot of that comes with, again, when we look at our, our government, our, our economy, we look at everything. We look at world conditions. But all of these come from strongholds in high places, spiritual wickedness in high places. And that's why. But we go back into the Old Testament and we can look at how these men endured. It gives us hope and to realize that they did this without the Holy Ghost. And with the Holy Ghost, how much more can we do? Daniel, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 9, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit. Everybody say excellent spirit. Excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said, Thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. And all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writings that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. You may be seated. Oh, no, don't be seated. I'm sorry. Isn't that good exercise? Get halfway down and get those thigh muscles working there. <laughs> and the reason I ask is because I have a special request in prayer for Sarah Kennedy. Uh, she came to me, and I'm not going to give any details. You don't need them. But 
uh, it's just a, a real need in her life, a situation that occurred. And uh, I made mention, she came to me before service and I was going to pray uh, for this situation. God knows all about it and God can, can turn this thing around, okay? So let's go to the Lord together right now, lifting our hands. Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for each and every one in this assembly. I pray now, God, you know the situation with Sarah. God, that you would move upon this situation. I bind this spirit that has come against her in the name of Jesus, and I release an angel, a God, according to thy tender mercies. God, that you will release an angel, Jesus, to protect her, bearing her up as she dash her foot against the stone. The angel of the Lord, and about them that fear him. God, I pray right now that you will deliver her from this situation. I ask it now, knowing that you will, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> you may be seated. <clears throat> I am. Uh, through the years, you've heard. I've heard a lot of things, and we um, people who get upset because someone prays through, you know, a, a loved one, and they get threats against the church. I've had years ago. I had devil worshippers come into the church, and we're going to bind us, and uh, we had the best service we ever had, and. Uh, you know, it, it, it never it never ceases to amaze me how that some devil, and that's exactly what it amounts to, it, they make threats and they're going to do something, but it never, ever really pans out. And the reason why is because the devil knows what the angel of the Lord will do to him if that situation would happen. You know, I, I, I know that not only that, you know that we are a great bunch of, of hillbillies at McCormick's Creek Church. <laughs> and I'd hate to come into this church and pull a gun. <laughs> Never know what's under here. <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't have a machine gun or anything. Got a little button, you know, a little trap door right there. So just be careful. If you see a trap door come down, just move off to the side. <laughs> Uh, you know, people, God takes care of his people. He never fails. He never fails. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, the captive Hebrews, and we're talking about men of excellent spirit. If you look at each of the characters that, that the, the, we've actually studied throughout this quarter, that uh, it, it's, it's interesting to, to see some of the differences. In fact, Noah, he stood for righteousness uh, in, in an otherwise decadent generation. Abraham had obedient faith that marked him for all time. Job was more steadfast than his contemporaries, and Jacob prevailed with men and God, and Joseph endured, and Moses led, and Samuel served, and Ruth remained loyal, and David repented, and Isaiah obeyed and the call, and Esther risked her life, and Elijah took a stand. Now, that's a lineup of faithful Old Testament characters. Don't you think? These are the things that they did under some really, uh, uh, really difficult situations, but they did not waver in their faith and their standing when it came to the kingdom of God. Now, our last book that really in this series is, is the book of Daniel and his, and his fellow Hebrews, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And as we focus on Daniel and his excellent spirit, uh, apparently the same assessment would apply also to these three fellow Hebrews. You know, the, uh, you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It, it would apply to them as well. 
because they had to have that same excellent spirit. You know, in our world, when there's so many people that are godless, we can find inspiration when it comes to studying some of these Old Testament characters. When you look at Daniel, I can find inspiration because in spite of what he had to go through and where he had to live, he still lived for God. It didn't make any difference. I can never understand when I go back and I do a lot of Old Testament study, when I read about these characters, I can never understand someone in this age, and under I know there's severe pressure out there, but not the kind of pressure that these men had to endure. They could lose their life for living for God, but yet they lived for God. It didn't make any difference. We cannot stand before God one day and say that it was just too hard to live for you because of all the pressure when you've got men like Daniel who was placed in a pagan society, but yet he did not waver one minute in his relationship with God. We have hope, friend. I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard it is. We've got hope. We do not have to sow. We don't have to worry. God is going to take care of his people. He's always taking care of his people, and he will continue to take care of his people. Praise God. Praise God. Who was Daniel? In, in his youth, he had to have been someone who served uh, in the court, I believe, in the palace of Jehoiakim of Judah. Jehoiakim had been in power for only about three years when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem and carried away its wealth and its best young men. Nebuchadnezzar instructed his armies to capture the wisest and the most knowledgeable young men that were most apt to serve in the king's palace and, and, and to teach them the ways of the Chaldeans. We don't know how many of Judah's best men were captured, but among those abducted were Daniel and again his compatriots, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king's intention was to groom these people for high-ranking positions and government positions. Uh, and they were to receive the best treatment because he wanted to put them in these high-ranking positions. This is the way that uh, in the eastern kingdoms, this is how they did. They would take over a particular nation. They would take the young men and instruct them in the ways of their particular governments. And they instructed them and they'd become high-ranking. And it was easier for the people they'd taken over to answer to these men, but yet they were well-schooled in the government and the religion of the, the conquering nation. So they were assimilated into this Babylonian culture, starting with their, their new Babylonian names. Daniel would become Belteshazzar. The others were to become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the name Belteshazzar means Prince of Bel, Bel or Baal. So you have a young Hebrew man who was raised in the Hebrew religion, knew that there was one God, and his name now was changed to a prince of a demon god. Now that would have been enough to upset you. I mean, I'm now answering, I'm a prince of a demon god. Now you think about that one. Every time things get just a little bit tight. So he had to answer to this. Again, uh, he, he was, it had to have been repulsive to this young Daniel. Nevertheless, God enabled Daniel to hold steadfastly to all he knew was right and pleasing to God because Daniel had an excellent spirit. 
Now the chief of the eunuchs was in for a surprise when Daniel and the three Hebrews were, were clearly determined not to lose their Jewish identity or their godly lifestyle. Daniel refused to eat the king's meat or drink the king's wine. And to the chagrin of his overseer, he, you know, he, he feared the wrath of the king. All of a sudden this man said, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I'm not going to drink the king's wine. I'm not going to eat the king's meat. And the, king, the chief of the eunuchs, he was all upset. He's afraid the king was going to be upset with him. He said, just check us out. He said, we're going to go ahead and eat pulse, which are vegetables. And he said, and you check us out in so many days. And he said, and see if we're not healthier. And he allowed him to do this. And again, it appeared that everything was better because they checked at him. They were healthier than the ones who ate the king's meat. So he did not back down on his dietary laws, even though they were instructed to do just that. He still didn't back down. And God gave him favor. Let me, let me give you one point here that you need more than anything else. I don't care how difficult it may be, where you work, what you have to do, what you have to endure. If you do not back down on what you know to be true, on a godly standard, holiness, if you do not back down on this, God will give you favor. It's when people begin to let down just a little here and a little there. And all of a sudden, God, it seems like, backs away from their life. He does back away from your life because you're letting down and people are seeing that you're letting down. And I don't want to get on this, but I'm about to. It just... Do you like that? I don't really care whether you do or not. I think I'll get down here with you. It's cool weather. I feel good. You know that. I used to ride horses a lot. You know, in the summertime, those horses, the heads would drag the ground because it's hot, sweat, and flies and everything just, you know, falling off of them. And, and <clears throat> boy, when it got about this kind of weather, you got on that same horse and you, had to, you went for a ride. Man, you couldn't keep him down. I had a mare one time and she would she'd get in this kind of weather and she'd buck. That's the reason I'm in such bad shape in my back today because of that. But she would she would buck and carry on. I loved her to death, you know, because she was. You just didn't know what she was going to do. I like that, you know. You just you don't know. That's the way I, reason I serve God, because you never know from one day to the other what God's going to do great in your life. But you know, one thing I did know for sure. There were certain things that you always did to be sure when you rode that mare that you stayed on that mare. First off, you 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 took the saddle, you put the saddle on her. She had a she she. She didn't flake those lungs. She'd get that belly out there. And then as soon as you got the saddle on, you tighten up the girth, she'd get normal again. So it would be a little. And you you jump in the saddle, and that saddle go all the way, and she'd take off. You're laying on the ground. So I learned that when I put the saddle on, I pulled the girth up tight. Then I took my, my knee and went whoop, right up into her belly. And she grunt real big, and I pulled it a little bit tighter. She'd turn around and look at me, and <laughs> she knew that I'd picked up on it. There's certain things you knew you had to do in order to stay on the ride, and it's the same way with God. I like the surprise that God gives me day by day, but I am going to be sure that I do things His way. There's certain things you're going to do if you're going to stay on the ride. 
You hearing me? And it's the same way with these standards that we have. I have, I believe in a holiness standard because it is right and it's godly. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. Don't you do a thing. And because it's biblical. I'll get it right. Yes, yeah. It's biblical because it's in the Scripture. And one thing's for sure. This man can come up to me and tell me God gave him revelation and we don't have to live that way anymore. And I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, you know what? You're listening to one of them lying, dumb spirits. Because the Bible is forever settled in heaven. You don't get outdated when it comes to the Bible. It's forever settled. Are you hearing me? There is no outdating. And I cannot change no matter what someone... I've had people, have ministers come up to me and say, why do you still hang on to that standard? I say, I'll tell you why I hang on to that standard. Because I have not yet seen any new revelation in this. This is still right. You don't back down because some pagan that calls himself a Christian says something something new today. It's still paganism. You still live for God. You still stand for truth. And if you're not going to live by this Bible, then there's no sense in even enduring or even trying. I think sometimes we're going to have to stand up to this. I am so... I, my wife made a statement to me yesterday. Or no, it was... Yeah. I think she, last couple of days she's been making the same statement. She said, we've not changed. And I said, because I keep saying this, I, I said, is there something I'm doing differently? You've not changed. You're the same. As everybody else has changed. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this out of pride because I always check myself. I still preach the same message I preached 23 years ago. And I still do the same thing and live the same life that I did 23 years ago. Daniel was raised the right way. And even though he was put in circumstances where it would have been easy for him and, and actually been safer for him to have gone the way of the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, it would have been easier for him. But he didn't. He maintained and had the right kind of spirit even through his captivity. And we have to, it doesn't matter what kind of pressure comes from the outside. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to get it until we get across. We need to get out and we need to do every bit of outreach. We need to come together and unify. And if somebody, somebody wants to get out and do something different to bring people in, then we go out and we do something different. We learn everything we can to be able to bring people in. We do whatever is necessary to bring people in as long as we stand by God's word. But when they come in here, we instruct them. We give them opportunities. And we don't jump on them if they don't dress quite right. Okay, now, whoa, don't clap your hands. I'm not done. When I'm done, I'll say, now you may. We do all that, but on the other side of it, we do not let down what we believe in order to have revival. We go ahead and have revival, and may not, everybody may not decide they want to do this. If they don't, that's between them and God. But the people that do stay are going to make it, we're going to make it to heaven. That's what this is all about. It's not just about building a crowd. It's about building the church, the kingdom of God. That's what it's about, and that's what we're going to do. If Daniel could live for God under the circumstances that he lived under, anybody can. Now, you know, there's, a, there's quite a lesson to learn from the story of Daniel and the fact of the dietary laws and, that he maintained. You know, he, 
there's a there's a reality here, a, a real a stark reality of a promising young man of God being forcefully taken away from his natural habitat and cast into a completely hostile environment, an environment so hostile that all his spiritual and cultural roots were trampled on in an attempt to completely replace his former identity. They were trying to replace his former identity. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. You see, there's the key here. You have to purpose in your heart. I I suppose that's the difference. When I came to God, I was slow coming to God. I knew what was right, but I was slow because I had not yet purposed in my heart to fight the battle. But when I purposed in my heart, when I prayed through, uh, well, let's just put it this way. I purposed in my heart before I prayed through. That's repentance. Okay? Before I received the Holy Ghost, I repented. That means I, I, I purposed in my heart. I'm not going to not, if I'm going to do this, we're going to do it all the way. We're going to live for God with everything that's in me. There's nothing that can pull me away from it. There's nothing that's going to get me to go the wrong direction. I purposed it in my heart. I didn't just try this on for size. I purposed in my heart to live for God. I was going to make it to heaven. My children were going to make it to heaven. My grandchildren are going to make it to heaven. I purposed that in my heart. There's been a lot of things that I've questioned throughout my life. But one thing I've never questioned, well, actually two things, was my relationship with God, whether it was right or wrong. I knew it was right. And number two was my call. I never questioned that. There's been a lot of other things in my life that I've questioned, but never questioned this. This is how Daniel could live. He knew he was right. He purposed in his heart that regardless of where he was, he was going to live for God. Now, these, these were some strong words that he had. These words suggest a stark conflict between his godly beliefs and those being forced on him by others. If he followed Babylon's way to be forced on him, he would, or if he allowed it, rather, he would be defiled, and he refused to allow that to happen. Daniel's testimony should prompt us to consider our own relationship with today's modern culture. Just how deeply rooted are you in today's modern culture? I read a, a thing in the Herald, and it, uh, it, it talked about a little bit about modern culture, and this lady was writing it, and it talk, kind of talking about the stuff that holds us back, somewhat Brother Cisco had preached about. But, it, you know, she said, we got our iPhones, and we got our computers, and we got all this, and how much of this really holds us back? Now, number one, we know that iPhones are godly. That's just a cent. There's not even a question about that. We know that. He said, now how in the world can you say that? Because it helps me not to constantly go boot up a computer. i got it right with me at all times, and I know what's going on, which sometimes is a headache, of course. Uh, yesterday, yesterday it was in my office at home, and I knew it was there, and it was plugged up. And I thought, if I go look at this, there will be an email on there that's going to get me all messed up. So, you know, it was this, this call from my office. Come and get me. Come and get me. And I kept pulling back. I said, somehow my godly iPhone's got a devil in it. I need to get rid of it. So, sure enough, I went and there was an email on there. I knew it was there. You said a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, whatever it is. I knew it was there. 
and I, I went, and it had me messed up the rest of the day. <laughs> it had me messed up. It turned out not to be anything, but, you know, it had me messed up. You know, I have this tendency to make mountains. That's the reason I made that statement I did earlier. A lot of things that you think are bad are not nearly as bad as what you think they are. You know, let the, let the tree lieth where it falls, what the Bible says. Sometimes you just need to leave things alone. <laughs> No, don't, don't, don't operate on, uh, on something that you think might be. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, but our culture sometimes, it just, it, it can pull at us and can pull at us. And we can get so involved because, yes, some things are helps. But other things can become obsessions. You know, you can continue to work and work and you try to better and better and better and you get the next thing that comes along, especially when it comes to the electronic world. It's, it's out of date the second it comes out. And then you keep, you keep doing it until you find yourself caught up in all this culture. But, but the case with Daniel, he never, whatever the Chaldean culture was, he did not allow himself to be caught up in it. He continued to live his godly lifestyle. And we've got to be brutally honest about whether or not we've been defiled by doing things at the world's way rather than holding strictly to God's ways. In our analysis, we should remember Daniel as a role model worthy of emulation today. Now, Daniel was probably in his teens when he was taken captive. No mention is made of his family, but it seems obvious that he was separated from his parents and siblings and probably lost all contact with them. He served three or possibly four of the most notable and powerful Babylonian kings for almost 80 years. He was close to 100 years old when he died. Daniel's entire adult life was spent as a faithful servant of the Lord in the households and the governments of mighty pagan kings. And impressively, Daniel never appeared to compromise his godliness, his consecration, and his spiritual integrity. Daniel's intimate relationship with God and his ability to know and understand divine matters caused him to stand head and shoulders above some of the greatest men of history. Now, I want to bring out a point here that a lot of times when you hear about Daniel, you never, it's never really brought up. A lot of times because it's an embarrassing thing you don't want to talk about. But Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were eunuchs. Now you think in his upbringing, in his religion, you don't see, and you read through the Old Testament law, you don't see a whole lot said about eunuchs. In fact, I'm not sure there's anything said. So when he comes in to the Chaldean court, he's emasculated. The three Hebrew children were emasculated. On top of everything else, this teenager is made a eunuch. Now, you can imagine the trauma of what happened here. On top of all that he is being brought out of and into, he has this put on top of it. Now, you think... Just a moment. You put, you, you, you put yourself in this position and you think about what he had to endure, everything that came about, but yet you do not see and or it's not recorded of any resistance or any, or any kind of, uh, of talk whatsoever about this situation. He wasn't complaining about it. He just took it in stride. And on top of that, the reason that he was was because of King Hezekiah. Because Hezekiah received some visitors from King Barodach Baladan of Babylon. He gave them a guided tour of the priceless treasures of Israel in their sacred houses. 
And Isaiah scolded Hezekiah for his carelessness, and he prophesied. He said, Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall thou take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, I am not saying that Daniel was a son or was in the lineage of Hezekiah. Probably he served with some of them. But as a result of a man's sin, he had to suffer the consequences. I heard a man once tell me, he said, Well, I believe that when you come to God, that everything that, and the Bible says this, all, all, you know, all things are passed away, behold, all things become new. He said, everything that has been sown in your past is gone. But the thing is, I don't believe that. Now, you can if you want. That's fine. But there is still the reaping process, no matter what. Hezekiah, God made the kingdom reap because of a leader. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how many of you are picking up on what I'm saying here. All that I made mention of earlier was the leading right up to this. If you're a pastor or if, you've been, if a pastor makes some big mistakes and lets down in some areas, it may cause a slight influx of people, but somewhere along the line he will reap for not preaching the Word of God clearly. A nation... We put in the wrong leader in the White House. A nation will reap for years, even after that man is gone. That process will always happen. That is why every day you get up, you need to live for God. Every day that you get out of bed, you make a decision, I'm getting out of this bed in Jesus' name. I'm going to live for God. I'm not going to let down in any area. I'm going to do the best I can. And if I do make a mistake, I'm going to drop to my knees and I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I'm not going to be afraid of repenting. I'm not going to be afraid of worshiping. I'm not going to be afraid of praying. I'm going to serve God no matter what. I cannot allow my children to reap for some mistakes that I've made. I can't even, I can't even imagine. You know, Daniel 1.3 documents the fulfillment of this pro- prophecy. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. He said, we cannot say for certain, again, that, Jacob, or that Daniel was a descendant, but yet we know... We know this. Do you realize that this was done 50 years prior to their captivity? This was prophesied 50 years prior to the captivity. God, when God says he's going to do something, he will do that. Now, it may take 50 years for it to happen, but he will do it. You know, the problem with us is we forget some of the prophecies that has come for us. We, it may be years down the road, and all of a sudden, whoa, you know, what happened? That's the reason it's so vital sometimes to write things down and go back to them. I had someone just recently make a statement that someone had prophesied over them and they couldn't understand why it had happened. Well, it just so, they didn't write it down. But this so happened, they found the tape of the service when it had happened. And they listened to that tape and what they thought was said was not what was said. It was just changed just a little bit in the original prophecy. It was changed, which what had been changed was exactly what had already taken place in that person's life. 
But because we, our, our minds don't work all that well. Have you ever noticed that? Our memories are not always as good. My hard drive has been full for a long time. Way too full. The older you get, the more it happens that way. <laughs> and, and, and so you, you ha- it's, it's vital to write things down and to realize and remember what was said. Because if you do, you'll find out that God does exactly what God said he would do. We should, should consider how we would feel were we to be abducted, taken into a distant country, forced into a completely foreign way of life. You know, what if the powers there forced a new pagan name on us and prohibited us from living according to our lifelong culture and our traditions? Daniel's heritage. I, I, you know, when I say this, <clears throat> I look back. I always get, it's Neil Day, isn't it? Nelda. I keep wanting to call you Nelda. Probably because you're married to him. Nelda. <laughs> and Raquel. You know, they came from a completely different culture. I can't even imagine what they've had. And, you know, they'd probably look at us and say, those, those people are funny. Boy, they act strange. You know, I, it, it, it's hard to imagine. What, you know, I go over to the Philippines. I, that's what I do. I look at them and say, boy, those people are funny. You know, boy, they, they act strange. Until I eat some of that good Filipino food, then it's a different story. Of course, one thing about Robertson, all foods are good. They're sanctified by prayer. It not matter what it is. I'll eat it pretty much. But, I, 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 you know, you look at that and, and you realize we, don't, we, we look at them. And, and, and I, you know, I look at Raquel a lot of times and I'm talking and she's over smiling, looking at me, doing it, you know, like that. And I know good and well she don't understand a word I'm saying to her. <laughs> but she's real nice and she's going like this, you know. I let her in, man. She's saying stupid American, you know. <laughs> No, but, you know, to take and that, that kind of change. And I, I look at this in the sense of, you know, they're coming over and uh, we have, they have the culture of the church, which is the same. And that, that's, that makes it. But you imagine in Daniel's case, he didn't have that. He didn't have anything that was even close to what he was used to. So Daniel's heritage was that of a, a deeply religious Jew. The, the transition from the environment of Judah's elite unto the environment of Babylon's elite must have been an enormous psychological challenge for him. Overnight, Daniel's beliefs, convictions, and his allegiances were challenged by Babylonian culture. Now, could Daniel continue as a faithful devotee of God in, his, in, his, his pagan, in this pagan world? Could he? And he did. He absolutely could and did. I, I look at this, and there's a scripture that comes to mind. I think I have, you have that. Uh, is that Luke 23:31? Did you have that? Do what? Yeah, Matthew 19 and 12. What did I do? Oh, I know what that. Put that one up. I skipped that one. I'm sorry. For there are some born, because I was talking about eunuchs earlier. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now, I want you to notice this. Now, the the scripture before, verse 11, says that this particular calling, because the eunuchs is, is brought about again in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you didn't see it only in the sense of pagan kings making eunuchs out of Hebrews. But here... Jesus is talking about it. Some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb. Some had problems from birth. 
There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. This is what would happen in, in, in the pagans, making, uh, emasculating the men. And there are some eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. That is where celibacy comes from. Celibacy is not something that you just say, I'm going to be celibate. This is what's happened to the Catholic Church. That's the reason there's so many troubles there. Because they're told the priest they can't get married, they have to remain celibate. But the Bible says, and I think it's a scripture before this, it says that he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. He, not everybody is called into that. You don't sit back there and make a decision that you're going to be celibate because then you're going to have problems. There has to be a calling. Do you see men like Lee Stone King, for instance, who has remained unmarried? He had a calling for that. God has blessed his ministry as a result of it. Now, for a long time, I don't know if he still has the problem or not, but for a long time, he had a great ministry among middle-aged women. I know that I, I, I don't know him personally, but, but the Cisco does, and he's told me some of what he's had to deal with. You know, women would come up at some of his meetings and say that God spoke to her and said she's supposed to marry him. He said it happened more than once. Now, can you imagine, folks, I've said this before, be careful what you say God says to you. Now, when I'd be something, you know, I just, I'm unmarried and some woman comes up and says, you know, God spoke to me. I'm, well, I wonder why God didn't say anything to me about it. And you know what? When things are right and you get this word from God, God will normally tell me. So if you come up and tell me and I haven't heard anything about it, that's the reason I look at you a little cross-eyed sometimes. Have you folks ever just had a prayer meeting, some of you, and just prayed to be in the presence of God? You will hear his voice clearly when you do that. But when you're praying so hard to hear his voice, you're going to hear all kinds of things. It's when you just get into his presence and just love him, it's when the voice comes in a nice, gentle way. Then you'll hear the voice of God. But when you're saying, I've got to hear from God, I've got to hear from God, you're going to hear voices, and you've got to be careful what voices you're hearing. That's the best preaching you'll get today. Now, Luke twenty three thirty one. Have you got that? Can you get that? I, there's another one. I, I don't think I put it on the list, but I, I wanted to bring this up. Because in the case of Daniel, Daniel had everything working against him. But yet he still... Maintained that excellent spirit and he served God. Now look at Luke 23 through 1 4. If they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And, and, and he's speaking, Jesus again is speaking in the sense of how people could not live for him. And I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing the rest of it. Could not live for him when things are good. How are they going to live for him when things are bad? You keep that up there for a minute because some people who believe that they're going to wait to the tribulation period, then they're going to pray through. If you cannot live for God during a good time right now, then how in the world when things are bad are you going to do it? That's what that's saying. This is, a, this is the same situation with, with Daniel. You know, he, he, could, he, could, he could live for God in a godless land because he lived for God when things were good. You hear me? He practiced the Hebrew religion when things were good, so when things dried up, he could still live for God. Now, in every generation, Satan attempts 
to disenfranchise people from their rights and their privileges with God. To Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer said, hath God said, he cast doubts in their minds about things they had seen and heard directly from God. He attempted to drive a wedge between Adam and Eve and God. Today's Christians should expect no less from the devil. That's exactly what our society is going through now. There is a wedge being driven between Christians and God. Now, I know that sounds just a little bit strange, but Christians are having a wedge. Christianity has become nothing but a social group. Just recently, in the paper, within the last couple of weeks, you would read where I believe, and I may be mistaken on the church group, I think it was the Lutherans, who are now saying they're going to let homosexuals, who are married homosexuals, be ministry or clergy in the church. Now, can you imagine what? I know we know that's wrong. I understand that, but it's the spirit of the whole thing. You know, that spirit is just saying it's being accepted in Christianity. And, and you know, there is, they're trying to pass another law. Where now they say religious organizations are, you know, they're exempt from this law where you can't in any way come against. This was just recent. Come against the homosexuals and, and any of the, the gays in any way or can't exempt them from working in a particular place or, or something of this nature. And they said, again, the military and the religious organizations are exempt. But if this goes through, what's the next phase? What's the next phase? When they call good evil, Isaiah said, and evil good, what kind of time are we living in? But regardless of what they say out there and how pagan it gets out there, God's people can still live a holy, separated life, and we don't have to worry. Listen, we don't have to lock ourselves up behind walls to stay holy. We can come in here and get all the strength that we need, and we can go out there and still say, Thus saith the Lord. We're not going to be taken in by any of this. I just read this morning. I, I, I just, I, I get so, and of course the media is so biased in so many ways. I, I come up here and do this every time. Why don't I, someone take a paper away from me, beat me with it or do something. Just, you know, this, this guy and I, some of you read where they held this girl, actually from nine years old and had, had two children by her. And, and it said that he was going to some Berkeley, California to a college campuses where they got kind of the, something was wrong and he was wanting to have a religious uh, meeting there. And, you know, he talked about how the, the girls look and they were plainly dressed and all this kind of thing. You know, it's just, when you see that kind of stuff, it's just a slam. The media said, you know, every time that you see a little girl dressed like a girl, She's probably got some kind of a pervert that's her father or something. And that's, that's what they're saying. You know, what is, being un, what, what is not being said speaks as loudly as what's being said. Because that's what they look like. That's what they look at. And, and you realize that it's, it's hard enough anymore for our, our children to, be, to live godly as to have this kind of thing come against them. But regardless, folks, and I'm saying all this to say this, regardless of what, unless it, you don't back down on what is right, I don't care if they think the Pentecostals are Amish or whatever, they, you still do what's right. The Bible says for us to dress and be a certain way, that's exactly what we need to be. We don't back away from something that is true. People are, if people are coming towards this, you let them come in their own speed. But don't you back away, are you hearing me, from what you know to be true. Well, let's look at the king's meat here. One of the first real challenges. Okay, my, I never have enough time. The Daniel face was the order for him to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine.
Now, Leviticus, the Levitical law, you can see it in Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. They listed many foods that the Jews were forbidden to eat. I got, when I get this, I've got to say this. Nothing about Jamie either. I'm just, you know. Brother Cisco is, you know, since his father-in-law died of, of cancer, they went on this, they, they all, to try to combat the cancer, they went on strict diets and they ate certain things. And, and you know, whenever, whenever, whenever we go to a restaurant or something, you know, I always put the pink stuff in my drink. He said, you're putting cancer in your body. I said, it's what keeps me eternally young, you know. I'm obnoxious. I can't help it. And, uh, but he, he's, got, he's got Juliana doing this stuff. And she was at Sunday school class. And they were, they were getting Kool-Aid or something. And she, that was Rhonda. And she said, she said to Rhonda, she said, has that got dyes in it? This little five-year-old girl. You know, she don't know what to do. Of course, Kool-Aid has dyes in it. Of course it does. Food coloring dyes, whatever. You know. You know, and then she, and then she was somewhere. And she always oh, oh, eating hot dogs, and she said, "Does those hot dogs have nitrates in them?" That's this five-year-old girl. And they're, they're, they they don't eat too much pork. Now they, they're when his wife's around, they don't eat too much of that stuff. <laughs> when he's at my house. <laughs> My wife made his pork loin, you know, and she didn't know. And, and, and something was mentioned about, of course, he, he went ahead and ate it, but of course, Juliana spoke up. And I just told her, I said, it's okay, you don't have to eat it. I said, there's some sugar smacks in there, I'll take care of your portion. <laughs> they left, they said, I've really warped her bad. I, I really have had her all messed up. I said, that's what I do the best. I said, I, you know, I, I, and the reason I say that, for those of you out there that are on strict diets and you don't believe in nitrates and salt and all that stuff, I'm sorry, forgive me. I just, I just want to show you something. You know, the fact that Daniel held by the Jewish custom and law, and he did the right thing because that was their law. But in the New Testament times, Paul showed plainly that these food prohibitions were not carried past the cross. Now, he warned of seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, and of those who are commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. You know, there is a prohibition against gluttony, which we all need to take more seriously. Okay, someone said they're working on it, thank God. You know, it's like I said, I've heard these people, I'm watching everything I eat, and I said, I do the same thing, I just watch everything I eat. <laughs> you know, that's how I hit my mouth, and I have to, you know, I have to look at it. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know you, it, nothing, and there is wisdom to everything. And if people decide that they don't want to eat Meat, that's fine with them, but it's you cannot, you can't command to abstain from meats. You know the there's a particular organization out there that do that. They, you know, they command to abstain from meats, and and yet they, you know, they, they just forget the scripture. We have to be careful. We don't ignore what the scripture's saying. If you don't want to do it, that's fine, but don't command me to do it. 
course, if you command me to do it, I will take you to the scripture and tell you to take a swing and dive at a rolling donut. Because I, I, we begin to, and the reason I, I, I get a little militant about that is because then we begin to take away or add to the Word of God. And you've got to be cautious of, of doing those kind of things. Now, we may freely eat of any good food today, and there's plenty of other godly standards that we need to use in the same manner. Daniel did not go against the dietary laws of the Jews. No matter what, he didn't go against them. We don't go against New Testament standards of living just because we decide not to. You know, you, you have people who say, well, I'll go to another church because they don't preach against this. If it's clear in the Bible, I don't care what church you go to. It's still there. That doesn't change it. It doesn't make the Word of God a none effect because whether you believe it or somebody preaches it or not, it's still in the Word of God. And if you've known it to be true and you back away from it and do what you want to do, then you're in disobedience. So, you know, when the world sets its temptations in front of us, just as Daniel refused to eat the king's meat, we've got to steadfastly refuse anything and everything that's detrimental to our spiritual lives. Anything. You know, Daniel was steadfast in his maintaining his, his dietary lifestyle. He also had an uncompromising practice of prayer. And we, we know the story well. And some of you, maybe you don't, but some of you, some of you do. Uh, you know, they, they, what happened with, with Daniel was, it, you see it in churches sometimes. All of a sudden, somebody's doing a really good job, and they get elevated. Well, then everybody else is against them. Everybody. I don't want that person in here taking that position. I don't like that person. And not only that, I want it. You know, we talked about humility Wednesday. If you weren't here, you need to get the, the CD. Because humility is something you need to learn about. You know, he, they didn't want, they were jealous of him. So they, they, they caught him. You know, he was going to pray no matter what. So they set this, this decree up that you, for 30 days, that you had to pray only to Darius. And, and that's the only one you prayed to. So he made it a law. And one thing about the Median Persians, they had a law against not obeying the law they just made. They were full of laws, kind of like America. We got, you know, they say that in America that there are so many laws that there is impossible for you not to break one every day. But really, there's so many that it's impossible for you not to break one of those laws. I mean, there's laws against spitting. You got, you know, there's laws against that. Probably a law against smiling too much. Or frowning too much. You know, there's all kinds of strange things out there that you can break a law every day. But in this case, there was a law against it. So his peers had set this up. And it goes in Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his, his God as he did before time. It did not make any difference. And so when Darius found out that Daniel had broke the law, of course, quickly, when, you know, you, you set something up and somebody that you're jealous against does, uh, breaks the law, you come running to the man in charge. You know what Rob did? I've seen him. He went to a bowling alley. And he bowled. Oh, you know what he did? They served beer there. Oh, you went to Red Lobster yesterday, and guess what they served there? Oh, my. That was a neat. 
we'll just go to your house and play wee bowling. All right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm saying, are you, you know, they come and tell, but it's okay for them to break the law. So anyway, they couldn't do it. Darius couldn't have any choice. He couldn't, he, he was against the law to not enforce the law. So he, he, he throws Daniel into the lion's den. And he, he's up all night fasting and worried about it, but he couldn't break his own law. And I, that's just what I love. And, you know, the greatest part of this story is this, this part right here. When he came dawn the next morning, and he yelled down in the pit, Is your God able to deliver you, Daniel? Daniel yelled, yeah, he did. <laughs> Send an angel to shut the mouth of these lions. I pray that prayer almost every day. I really do. God, shut the mouth of the liars. Because this, 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 this world is full of them. Sadly enough, it creeps into the church. And you can, think that, you can think you get a word from God, and it's like that's the way it is, and it's not a word from God. You know why the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses? Because of that very thing. You come to me and you say, well, God told me that, that, that Rob was, was, you know, he was double dipping in some chip dip. You know, and, and, you know, I have to have, I don't care if God told you or not, I have to have two or three witnesses that seen him double dipping. You know, that's what the Bible says. Me come up and said, all right, I'm throwing you off the platform for double dipping. You know, and Rob says, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't eat that stuff. I don't care. That's what God said. Are, you got me? But the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. So be careful. I say, you know, I, I, every time I have to get to this, I always have to qualify. I believe in God speaking to people. I believe in it. But you just keep in mind that you do not have the sole authority, nor the sole person that hears from God. That's the reason there has to be leadership in the church to make, make the difference. That's the reason there's two or three witnesses. There's been a lot of men of God that have been, had their, their reputation completely destroyed because somebody thought they heard from God about them. And no one's seen them do anything wrong. All they have to do is begin to get something like that circulating, whether it be true or not. Their reputation is still ruined. So he shut them out of the lines. The great thing about this story is this. The people who did this to him got thrown in. You know, the bad thing about it was they threw their children and their wives in too. You reap what you sow. Your children reap what you sow. You lie enough, especially about a man of God, and you can lose your whole family. Let's stand. I'm not done, but I'm quitting. There's a strong point here. How do you, I've asked God this many, many times, how do you get across to people? When you preach and you have example after example, how do you get across to people that this is not just for the person sitting next to you? That this is for you as well? How do you get it across to people that we're not talking to just those few that you think are, that need God more than you need God? You can get so used to, to thinking that you are serving God in a certain manner when you're not. That is why it is so vital not just to listen to the preaching of the Word, but to study the Word of God to be sure that you are living for Him the right way. It's so easy to get caught up 
and to think everything's okay. Traditionally, my mommy and daddy served God this way. Traditionally, your mommy and daddy may have been wrong. And you can look at me and say you're a fanatic. Well, I tell you what, when I stand before God, I'll be glad I'm a fanatic. And you know what? A fanatic just means you're unchangeable. That's all. That's the word fanaticism means unchangeable. So you can call me fanatic all you want because I'm not changing. Isn't that good? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I, uh, my uh, cousin, son, how would you, Derek, how would you be related to me? You're my cousin's son, twice removed. He looks like a Robertson, doesn't he? Got them big ears and flap. You know, it's a Robertson trait. <laughs> he is, uh, he's getting, he came today about last last winter. He came to me, we were down at Bass Pro. That's an ungodly place. Don't ever go there. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, we were down there and he was thinking about uh, going to school, become Border Patrol. And uh, he's following through on it. Uh, I guess tomorrow you gonna find out, or you got a test? Fitness test. Now ah, you're you're fit enough. Okay. And uh, which he would go to Idaho, Montana. Which pray, pray, pray. I want him to get this job. Not only did they need good saints out there. There's not a whole lot in Montana or Idaho, and either was when it comes to churches. But he needs to to allow me to come out and elk hunt, bear hunt. You know. You got the right motive, don't I? Come on. <laughs> uh, that wasn't of God. I need two, three witnesses. <laughs> there we, oh, we got one witness. We got. We got. <laughs> but I, I want to see him do well with this. This would be good for him. You know, sometimes when you are young, uh, as long as you can serve God, God can put you in places where you can be more effective, and uh, and still be able to do something you enjoy doing. You know, and I, I think that when he talked to me last last winter, we I just really felt that for him, and it's, I hope this pans out. And we're going to pray that it does. Lord bless you. Turn and shake some people's hands. Be friendly, and you're dismissed.